Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, Brandon here, and welcome back for another episode. Before we get started, uh, I mentioned this last time on the podcast, but I wanted to make sure that you knew that it was still going on. Zenium is doing the fourth annual What People Want From Work survey. This is absolutely free. And it's a survey we will send to you as a participant. Uh, We just need one contact per employer. And then we give you the tools and resources to send out a survey to your employees. And we'll do all the measurement of the responses. And anyways, you get a, a nice free report with that. Uh, with all the quantitative responses, and there there are some buy up options that have you know qualitative and plus some other benchmarking based on industry and location and all that stuff. So you're welcome to sign up through September 17th. Uh, link is in the show notes. So go sign up before the deadline. Okay, so today's episode, I interview and I brought back Lee Carraher. She is the CEO of a PR firm named Double Forte. She's the author of Millennials in Management. And I had her on previously. And for those that are followers of the podcast and have been loyal for the last few years, uh, we brought her on to talk about Millennials in Management. And that that was such a fascinating discussion. And that book is still skyrocketing in sales just because millennials are entering the workforce at such a rapid rate. They're becoming such a large portion of it. So Go get that book, listen to that podcast if you don't have a lot of time. But today, I brought her back on to talk about her newer book, The Boomerang Principle. And this book is really all about how to create a great culture where when people's time is up uh, and opportunities are exhausted within the workplace, they may leave. But because you treated them fairly, that you had a good culture and they think so highly of you, they may come back when other opportunities arise. So this book is uh, very fascinating. I I really enjoyed it. And I think you're going to love this discussion with Lee. So I'll step out of the way and enjoy the episode. Lee, so awesome to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Brandon, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to talk with you again. I know it's we're like best friends. I I enjoy talking with you and you and you write amazing books. So it's it's fun to talk with you and you have great content to talk about. Thank you. Last time we spoke, you have the book Millennials and Management. And that was a fantastic podcast. So I recommend people to go back and listen to that and obviously get the book too. that that thing is just packed with ideas about how to manage millennials. And that thing has been taken off, right? I mean, you've had a lot of success with that book. Uh huh. The uh, it's actually since my second book came out, that my first book is actually really taking off. So 
It's been awesome to see. And I've been getting a lot of great feedback. Oh, this was, you know, this chapter in particular is really helpful to people or that kind of thing. So yeah, I just wanted to help people. So I'm glad that it's doing its job. Yeah. So your newer book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspire Lifetime Loyalty from Your Employees. When did you release that book? That was released in 2017, mid-2017, so a year ago. So- so as people are probably running across that book, buying it, are they going back and reading the Millennials and Management? They are. So yeah, I, I, think, I figured yeah, as much. They sort of they go together, and they go together for sure. I mean, you don't have to read them together, but they definitely uh, build on one another. You can read them either way: uh, Boomerang first and Millennials second, or Millennials first and Boomerang second. What is the Boomerang Principle, and what led you to write this book in the first place? Sure. So the Boomerang Principle is the idea that. Those companies and organizations that allow and encourage former employees to return to them have a strategic advantage over those that don't. And my the impetus for the book was really out of the work I was doing for the Millennials and Management book. So I was, you know, I still do this. I do a lot of keynoting and do a little workshops, big companies, small companies, nonprofits, for profits, you know all over the country. And in every single of those sessions, I would have someone say, someone older, say, (laughs) I don't want to train these people. I mean, they're just going to leave and I have to start all over again, number one. And the next thing they would say is, you know, if you leave me, you are dead to me. And and I was like, no! So the idea that... We could, a company could hold a person for their whole lives is outrageous, number one. And really when people leave on their own volition and not when we told them to, either by helping them along or firing them or laying them off, that's when we get pissed. Well, that's ridiculous. And the idea that you're only loyal to me when I pay you is ridiculous too. So I, my whole goal with the second book was to talk about, you know, here we are in the modern workforce. The modern workforce has much more uh, say and much more responsibility on themselves to create a career that makes sense for them than in the past where companies would have hold, held people for much longer. And uh, in that reality, we should not be casting people out um, of our circles just because they are uh, pursuing their own goals. Instead, if we can keep people loyal to us um, and connected to us for their whole careers, um, this is where we're going to have companies and organizations will have an advantage. So that's sort of the impetus for this book. Your entire chapter two is all about loyalty. And mm-hmm. I think the way you described it, I thought it was really fascinating because I think decades ago, uh, maybe as recent as 10 years ago, I think loyalty meant something much different than it does now. Mm-hmm. What Can you elaborate on like what it means to be loyal nowadays, either sure. as a, an employer or as an employee? I think loyal, loyalty, I'm pretty sure, I don't know that the definition has changed. I think that the application of that definition has changed. So Mm -hmm. before, you know, really before, before the mid, you know, the early, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, um, that that's the time frame when publicly traded companies started working towards shareholder value versus just pure profit and increasing shareholder value meant laying people off, minimizing organizations. Um, and that's really where you saw the change from a long-term view to a quarterly view in terms of performance. With that change, people, employees, became less important in terms of performance. 
when that happened, the, so that then we get to 2008, and that's really the you know the last nail in the coffin on hanging with a company forever, getting a watch, right? <laughs> that American <laughs> dream, the American dream of you find a company, you work for hard for them, and the company takes care of for you of you. You know that's an old concept. It was pretty anachronistic when it started, but it was sort of, you know, it's had a lot of lore in in our culture. And basically, 2008 just nailed the coffin on that thing because uh, it's not true that a company could keep anybody. It's not true that we can control who merges and who doesn't and who makes it and who doesn't. Um, and in the outcome of that, the people people know and um, adult children of boomers and, and Xers and silence have been told do not count on a company to hold you. You know, make sure that you're relevant. Don't get don't get stale. So when we think about loyalty, loyalty is an act of doing something for somebody else when you're not expecting a quid pro quo, when you're not expecting something in return. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> to equate loyalty with staying with a company or organization is a false equivalency because I am paying you. While I pay you, that's not a, that's a transaction. That's not loyalty. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was about to say that it's a business transaction. It's a transaction. I get a paycheck. I show up to work. I do my job. It seems like loyalty would mean you live up to your end of the bargain exactly. as part of that transaction. Yeah, and I think actually the most loyal thing an employee can do is leave the company or the organization or the team when they're no longer inspired by the work at hand. Because you need to bring your A game. It's increasingly challenging, you know, um, increasingly important to focus on performance and bringing your A game all the time. And if you can't bring your A game because you're not inspired, go find another job. And that is actually a loyal act. You had this statistic in, in your book, I think it's from an Intuit study, that basically said by 2020, 40% of the American workforce will be contract workers with no employees and I'm just really curious what your your thought is on why that movement's happening. Is it because of this whole uh, boomerang principle? Is it just the economic shift? Is it the tight labor market that we're experiencing? And what, what what is attributing to that movement? I think a lot of things sort of attri- contribute to that. One is that we're moving. You know, when you have high performers, so the highest performers of us, so the top twenty five percent. In uh, are always in demand, no matter what the economy does. We always yeah. want those best workers. And now, because this whole idea of, you know, go to a company, stay forever, get a watch thing has been broken, best performers can choose where to go. They yeah. have a much more much more choice. There's a lot of silver, you know, golden handcuffs in making sure that, you know, you pay people a lot of money and you give them a lot of stuff. And that's definitely true for engineers, older engineers. But but at the same time, companies are shedding people all the time, right? So those best talents want to have more control over what they do for their careers. And the best talent goes where the best talent is, right? So that's one piece. The second piece of the of the equation is sort of below the line, above the line. Um, companies in every single sector are have limited their risk on below above the line uh, overhead with employees by moving a lot of work to contractors, mm-hmm. contracts with other agencies um, and individuals, so that they don't have to carry the load and it's easily expendable. And that is a fine. That's just a, an accounting thing, right? That's definitely for uh, publicly traded companies. That is an accounting function that, or for companies that are looking to get EBITDA so they can do something like have an exit or raise money or whatever it is. Um, 
So they have moved to having people, lots of people, 40%, 50%, you know, um, Google, Apple, um, Cliffba. I mean, just so many companies don't use full-time employees anymore so that they can, um, it's an accounting function more than it is anything else. So by maybe people want to be contractors, so they have more freedom, but the companies, particularly the large companies, are pushing towards more contractors to have more control over their P&L. And then you have a gig economy, right? You have um, the rise of the freelancer, the rise of personal branding being so important, being able mm -hmm. to create your own brand, be able to work on any of these platforms like Upwork. I mean, there's so many. So all those things together, all those things together mean that we have fewer employees who are going to be actually employed by the company that they work for and more individuals who are working for agencies as roll-ups or individuals as contractors over time. Let's talk about talent a little bit. So we, as we sit here today, it's August 2018. The labor market's super tight right now. And super I think em employers are like, you mentioned wanting to hold on to their talent. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the top, the top of the top, they want to keep them and they're probably scared that they're going to have better opportunities elsewhere. And they, you know, they need them to, to grow their business and, and all that. How, you know, with the, the concept of your book, how important is the boomerang principle with, with what kind of market we're in right now as oh. far as labor goes? Super important. So think about this, right? If you have a company that people want to return to, you have a company that people have a hard time leaving, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the creating a good culture, creating opportunity for people doesn't mean you can keep them forever, but it does mean that if you create a place where people like to be, they are more likely to stay for longer than they thought. And they're very likely to return if you provide the opportunity because culture actually matters. Really, culture is King Kong on this stuff. People like to have low drama, high production. <laughs> Right. And <laughs> yeah. the, you know, it's the less friction, the better. And those organizations that can uh, move towards that are going to have a strategic advantage in terms of recruiting new people and keeping people and returning people later on in their career. So, you know, you or I, we leave our company, we go do something else, and then we're on to the next thing. And wow, it'd be great to go back to that company. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, one, more and more people think of that as an option. And two, when you bring somebody back, they're more valuable to you than when they left you. Because yeah, they developed on somebody else's dime yeah, at that point. They got other experience. <laughs> You've already know that they vet You've already vetted them as a person, yeah. right? Um, and so they come in and number one, they're more valuable. And then two, they can be more valuable faster than a new hire because they already have the shortcuts of the culture. And the average person takes six to nine months to really become um, utilized fully in a new job. And with a boomerang person, you cut that down by, by up to seven to eight months. So, you know, you're getting, you're getting better all the way around. So I think this begs the question, what does it take to build a company or a culture where people want to stay, but when they're, when they feel like they're done, they, they leave and they come back. Like, how do mm -hmm. you build that kind of company it sounds like well, a utopian I, environment i don't think so <laughs> uh, you know it's well, here's the deal right it's super messy it's messy yeah. because it's people and people have different needs at different times of their lives and their careers so one is just having the mindset we're going to create a place where the best people come yeah. and we keep them as long as we possibly can and if they're not best people they have to go i mean you can't have this 
this is is utopia if you don't have high expectations and high performance, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you just can't hold people to hold people. We're talking about high performers creating a culture of that are, that is sustaining and thriving. So the first piece is sort of what are you about? What is the vision of your entity? Why do you exist as a company? And, you know, when you understand really fully, what is your vision? What is your mission? Then you're able to attract people who have like vision and missions. And in general, when we think about low friction, uh, people have friction points too. And when they actively grind against the mission of the, of something that they're working for, their work is inefficient, because we're humans, right? So that's number one. Vision and mission. Know what it is. Articulate it. Say it over and over and over again. Two is really understanding that being willing to say that people can come in at one place and end at another than they ever imagined, right? And really thinking about opportunities for people. So how do you enter somebody into your organization and say, you know, it would be great. It would be the most easiest thing for my company is if someone just came in and said, I want to do this for a year, then that for two years, and then this for three years. And that's just not the way the world works anymore, right? That ladder does not exist. One of the reasons the ladder doesn't exist is because work is changing so fast that one job description, you need to look at those job descriptions, um, you know, every 18 to 24 months because they have to change so much because of all the different, all the changes in the economy, all the changes in uh, workflow. So just talking about opportunity, being open to saying, you know what, you want to start here yeah. and you want to, oh, you want to be a podcaster? Well, Brandon, you did this, right? You're saying, I want to be a podcaster and they let you do it. That wasn't like part of your original remit, yep, I'm sure. Exactly. So being open to, you know, you have an idea how you can contribute in a more, in, in another way, please bring it to me. You know, I'm happy to entertain anything like that. So being open to possibilities, being open to different kinds of opportunities and the, is the next piece. The third piece is training and development and reinforcement. People, um, the biggest request is for mentorship from, here's the biggest request from millennials today. One, who's my mentor? Two, how many volunteers do I, days do I get? And three, where I assume we have leadership training day one, <laughs> truly. So, you know, making sure that there's opportunities for learning. The most important thing people can do today is be a learning organization with learners in your organization. So what are the different opportunities for learning throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the year, so that people can continue to be stay relevant? And if a company helps people stay relevant, they will be relevant for them and for the rest of the market. I want to hone in on that development piece, uh, the mentorship aspect too. So the skeptic would probably say, well, why, why do I want to develop somebody if they're just going to leave anyways? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what's your answer to that? Um, my answer to that is if you don't put any effort towards development and training, then they will leave faster. Yeah. So then you're left with people who don't know what the hell to do. So don't worry about training people who leave you. Worry about not training people who stay with you because they are dragging you down. That is an inefficient profit losing opportunity, right? What, you know, if you build and have a culture of learning and practice and uh, new skills and all that kind of stuff and, and opportunity for learning new things and, and, and really mastering your craft, people will stay longer. There's a lot of data on that, that, this, that demonstrates this. When you have someone who goes, oh my God, I just trained that person. You know, you trained them for you. You didn't train them for them. <laughs> Yeah. And um, a lot of it has to be sort of changing your mindset on who you're training for. You know, and, the, and I think that the 
you know, the, our armed forces in the United States have done a tremendous job over the last 15, 20 years on changing, you know, you know, boot camp, camp still sucks. Uh, it still weeds out lots of people who can't hack it, but there, it's definitely a, you know, if you think about total command and control, right? It's when we, when I, how I think about military training. It's yeah. not that anymore. It is much more attuned to the person and what they can do and how they can be the, um, the best they can be. Um, and that's how we need to have that opinion, even if we need to get the job done. You can get a job done and learn something new all at the same time. There's a lot of human capacity. It does seem like if you spent time developing and mentoring people that they would feel like it's for them, not for you know just the organization. And then they would be more likely to to spread that knowledge to mm-hmm. other people and create that learning organization you're talking about. Exactly. Learning organizations share. They share yeah. um, things among people and they help each other out without being asked. And um, and you might, at the end, you might just like, I, I've learned everything I can. I actually want to do something new. So that's not a failure on the organization's part, part at all. That could just be, I need to move to Ohio or I need to, uh, I really want to be a nurse. Well, I'm not a hospital, therefore, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I've, I've heard that before. So, yeah, something like that. Something like that, right? So people have different needs and different desires for their own careers and they may not share it all with you. They don't have to share everything with you when they join or they may have a change in their life. Someone dies, they get children, they adopt, they move to another country, whatever it is, and you can't... you. Your job, your company does not fit into what a person wants to do. And that's why it's really, you know, the challenging part of HR, I think, is that, you know, we we want it to be nice and neat. We want check boxes, right? Yeah. And people do not fit into check boxes. Yeah, um, I think you said it perfectly. You said it, it's messy. It's super messy. When you get used to, you know, it's sort of a, it's a, it's an art, not a science, right? It's, Keeping, you know, high performance, having high expectations, making sure vision and mission are aligned, um, creating opportunities for learning and training um, and setting expect Again, that expectation thing. Here's we're trying to get to A plus here, not C plus people. Right. And not allowing not allowing the C plus work that is messy. You know, there's a lot of mess there, but you can hold these principles. And when you hold the principles and aren't prescriptive about checking the boxes, people have much more, um, A, ability to maneuver in them and actually figure out better ways to do things. And B, people are happier, absolutely happier. And uh, here's what I definitely know is true. When you have a happier workforce, you have a more profitable workforce. You have a chapter on why millennials thrive. And there's an excerpt that I love that I wanted to state for you real quick and get your reaction. So you say, in the more than 500 interviews I've done with millennials in the past three years, I've heard one rendition or another of, why don't they ask my opinion time <laughs> and time again? Like, it seems to me, and this is my commentary here, but why, like if you're going to build a culture and you want to have people who are really excited about their work and ultimately it's going to transform your business into being more profitable, it seems like this would have to be at the top of the list or near it. Absolutely. And I think there's two things. One is um, it, moving from a command and control hierarchical organization to being a high input, low democracy organization mm-hmm. takes time and it takes practice, right? And also learning how to give input and be okay with it when people don't take your ideas also takes time and maturity. So the best organizations, we know so much 
about the best decisions, the best organizations. We know that um, teams in general, you know, over and over and over again, teams make better decisions than individuals by 67%. So if you're sitting by yourself and you're making a big decision, get some other people in there and help, have them help you out, right? Because in, you know, 60% of the time, they're making a better decision, not just an equal one, a better decision. Then we also know that diverse teams make better decisions than individuals 89% of the time. Well, that doesn't mean that everyone who is on that diverse team, if you have 20 ideas, 20 ideas don't go into implementation. What it does mean is that those 20 ideas come together, they provide context, they provide input, they build on each other so that you can make a better decision that impacts more people. So the high input part is being able to listen and ask for feedback and input and points of view that then are considered. They're considered together. And then someone, whoever's in charge, makes the decision. Here's how we're going forward. Thank you for all your input. Here's how we're going forward. And and acknowledges the fact that everybody who raised their hand actually shaped the outcome. I love that. Everybody wants to have impact on their outcome. Who doesn't want to have yeah. impact on their outcome? Well, they want they want to know they're tied to the greater good of the exactly. organization. They're actually contributing something. I love that. And I think from a leadership perspective, it's making sure you provide context, you build time into your schedule so you can gather this input, right? Um, and you can have time to consider it and have time to people to basically ruminate around in their concepts. It does create more need for upfront, but it speeds the implementation so much faster, Brandon. It's really, it's incredible. So I actually just, um, uh, work, I'm working with a company right now on this high input, low democracy concept. And I had to, you know, it basically it's eight steps. It's like, oh my gosh, Lee, eight steps. I'm like, well, you don't need eight steps to figure out what you're going to have for lunch, right? <laughs> you don't need that. But if you have a program that you're going to to launch and you need everybody's input, well, just having a meeting about it is not enough, right? You want to send an email that says, here's the concept. Um, here's what here's a straw person on the thing. Every, I need your ideas on this idea, on this, what we're going to do. Um, in writing, beforehand by a certain date, you know, give a few days. Then you want to compile all that feedback and compile all that input and then send it out so everyone can see everybody's point of view. Well, there's there's time right there. Then you have your meeting where everyone can then, then you have a, you know, a guided discussion on, you know, how can we make it better? How can we have bigger impact? How can we make it faster based on all the input that you've gotten? And then you don't make a decision there. This is the where, where everybody breaks down. Oh, we made a decision in a meeting. Well, no. <laughs> Right. Don't because you may have people who didn't attend. You may have people yeah, like they wake point. up the next morning and go, Oh my gosh, I totally forget about Thursday at noon, whatever. Right. So you gather, you know, you come to consensus, a loose consensus in a meeting. And then the leader puts it together and says, here's where I think we're going forward this way. Um, and then you send that out again as, as an email, you know, or writing or something, something. And then you get more feedback in writing so that people who are extroverts, people who are introverts, people who are remote, who are on site, all have time to consider it. And then um, sometimes you're, you know, if you're not 60% there, you, know, you probably need to meet again. But if you're 60, 70% there, then getting the input lets you make the decision, make the decision and, and then roll it out in a, in a meeting, right? Which is, here's how we're going forward. Thanks, everybody's input mattered. 
we can't do everything. We're going to do this, this, and this, and this. We're going to me- mm-hmm. And then the next thing is, you're not done yet. You're going to measure that in 30, 45 days. You know, is it working? Okay. If it's working, great. So that pr- seems really laborious, doesn't it? It's like, oh, no, my but God, it seems like it seems like they're, they're involving them this. in the process. And then everybody's that. involved in the process. A leader still has to lead. People still have to participate. You haven't, uh, and people who have been in hierarchical command and control organizations really have a hard time in this transition. They're like, oh, you're giving it, and now I have 140,000 bosses, or now, you know, everybody's input counts. Like, yeah, everybody inputs, everybody's input counts, but it doesn't mean that everybody's input goes into, you know, comes into implementation. It doesn't. The leader has to lead. And this is where leadership um, in this high input, low democracy thing is really, you know, it's learned over time. You have to learn how to listen and not just, you know, leave time to listen. Um, and then people, um, when they know they've been listened to, bam, that's when you get people who are invested in what you're doing. In that same chapter about millennials, you talk about a couple themes that ring very true for that millennial generation. Work-life balance and don't get stale. And I resonated with this so much. I'm actually technically a millennial. I'm probably on the upper end of it, but like... I'm frightened of getting stale mm-hmm. and I all I like the, the work life integration of, you know, be like so into my work, but also kind of bleeding that over to my personal life and vice versa. I just, those are two things I think have to be true for a lot of those millennials out there. What do, what are you kind of seeing about that? I think it's true for everybody now, frankly, you know, yeah. I think uh, one of the reasons um, particular millennials are so worried about becoming stale is because their parents became stale. And when oh, they yeah, lost yeah. their, you know, eight to 10 million boomers lost their job in 20, 2008, 2009. And millions of them couldn't find new work, even when there was work, because they were considered um, out of touch. They'd been at a company for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And oh, they can't possibly be relevant anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. heard that from their parents. Don't get stale. Don't get stale. We also know, you know, tech, you know, I started my business. Uh, my business is a public relations firm. Now our business is a public relations and social media marketing firm. Mm-hmm. And I started my business. <laughs> well, we started our business before Twitter, before LinkedIn, before yeah, Facebook, yeah. before Instagram, before Pinterest. Well, 60% of our business is in there right now. So if you're not always learning new things, and it's just a rate of change is so much faster, the function's the same. The function is actually the same. We help companies and people connect with the people who are who matter to them for their business. That's what we do. But how we do it is so different. So staying relevant is important for everybody. Millennials in particular are very concerned about it because they see what happened to their parents. Um, and then... Getting stale is about being relevant, right? Getting stale. When you feel like you know everything, be worried because there's no, there's no way. There's, you know, an algorithm change. Somebody else yep. came into the, you know, a new a competitor came in, um, you know, work changed in South America that's impacting you, whatever it is. So um, complacency is just, um, it's contagious and it's deathly. Is there anything an employer can do? to help their employees not be stale? Well, I think there's lots of things you can do. And the there's two pieces of it, right? What's the, resp- the employer's responsibility and what's the person's responsibility? And I feel pretty strongly that the employer's responsibility is to provide opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
not all opportunity, but opportunity. And the employee's responsibility is to um, make sure that they are crafting the career that they want. And if you, if an employer creates opportunity to, for people to learn and practice and master as they're doing their work um, in the jobs that they have to do, right? Then I'm not saying you have to like all of a sudden become a hospital because someone wants to be a nurse. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, so we help people um, connect with audiences. So we have to have people who are really good at social media. So we have social media classes. We have uh, app, app, we call it appy hour. Once a month, we look at all these different apps, like Everybody has to download them and learn them so there's something new. We do presentation training every Tuesday is our staff meeting. Someone presents every single Tuesday so they get used to talking in front of people, which is super important in our business. Um, you know, those kinds of things are pretty um, they're pretty informal, right? And then um, if we have big, you know, then you have individual um individual needs too. Someone's a really good writer, but someone doesn't know how to do photos. Someone doesn't know how to do photography, can't caption. Well, you have to provide those kinds of things. But if a person doesn't um, learn along, it's not the company's responsibility to, you know, drag them along. It's the company's responsibility to say, if you don't meet these standards of performance and knowledge, you got to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> because you do, right? And that's and, you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I got to this point in my career. I don't want to learn anything new. I just want to do what I want to do. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> uh, I just want to do what I want to do. And that is an older point of view. It's like, and yeah. I'm not saying experience doesn't matter. I'm not saying like just, just multiple times of dealing with something doesn't matter because it does. But not being able to execute today is pretty much a death knell for anybody, yeah. no matter how old you are. Let's talk about those boomerang employees. Uh, so let's say you're considering bringing somebody back that's already worked for you. Mm -hmm. What are some of those must-ask interview questions? I mean, because you've, you've already interviewed them back in the day. They worked right. for you. So you don't need to ask some of those basic interview questions that you're just trying to get to know somebody. What are those really important things that you're going to ask those, those previous employees before you hire mm -hmm. them back? I think the first piece is to understand why would they want to come back? What are yeah. they looking for? What attracts them to returning? Second, you want to find out what the heck did they learn when they were gone? <laughs> like, what did they do? What is their portfolio? Where could you plug them in in a different place? Because you're probably not going to have someone come back to do the same job. Probably. Yeah. Um, unless it's, I don't even, you know, maybe it's plumbing. I don't know. <laughs> plumbing <laughs> yeah, is that, plumbing. That and sense. there are not enough plumbers in the world. So please go be a plumber. Um, but pl I don't know. I don't know that plumbing changes that much for water pressure, you know. <laughs> so um, you may bill a higher rate. That's for sure. So what have they done? And then the third piece is what do they want to do? Like, how would they like the next phase of their you know, their second tour of duty with you or their third tour of duty with you, what, what do they want it to look like? Uh, what did they, um, what do they hope has changed since they, since they left? What do they hope is the same since they left? You know, that kind of stuff. Cause no one, you know, so you add a person, you delete a person and the organization can change. So being really clear about who is this person, where are they in their career right now? What do they hope for? And what, is, how do they want to participate and contribute to your organization as they return? I think it's, it's, you know, being, you don't have to say, 
are you the right person? Because you like the people, right? You already figured out that they can fit in. But are they going to fit in the right place? You want to make sure it's a good match, not just to bring someone back to bring them back, but is it a good match for what you need and what they are? I'm really curious how employers bring employees back. Is it the employer brand? Uh, Is it just previous reputation? Is it are we staying in touch with employees mm. who left? Like, it, what is? What do you see? Is it all those things? I think it's all those things, and I yeah. I think that the most if you haven't, if your listeners don't have this, which I'm sure they don't, because most companies don't. <laughs> <laughs> but if you could do one thing, so it's August now. If you could do one thing, start 2019 with a corporate alumni program. Ooh, I like that. Do a corporate alumni program that you manage. Right, Not that sort of rogue ex-employees on LinkedIn, but that you manage that gathers all your employees into a place. Uh, My company is very small, so I use Facebook private groups for this. Um, Find out where they are. Get them all, you know, if you don't know where they are. This works for companies that have 100,000 alumni Mm -hmm. and 10 alumni. But And if you have 100,000 alumni, you sort of have to start at the top and... And you're working way through, right? But um, who do you want to keep in touch with? Who of your other older employees, your former employees, do you want to be in touch with? I would say all or all that have left you well, all that you would love to, who who you know are doing well in the world. Um, and then put them, you know, if you can get a private network, um, I use, like I said, I use um, Facebook groups for this, but you can, there's several different, and I have them in the book, several different um, systems that you can employ for this that are a little more robust than what Facebook has. Um, and then what are you going to, what is that network going to have? So in our network, we have people are posting jobs for each other inside our Facebook page, our Facebook group, we're posting jobs, we're providing input, um, information on who, what we're working on now. We're providing um, our podcast, we're providing some, sometimes we have training that we just offer up to our former employees that they can use if they want, uh, discounts from our clients. Um, if people are doing a BOGO or something like that, we offer to our former employees. Um, and you just keep people connected with you, right? That's the first thing. We also, um, they get a, uh, e- they're on our email list. So they get an email from us once a month, just uh, whatever our email is that month on on either the topic of our business or what's happening in, in our offices. Um, and then we try to surprise and delight our alumni once or twice a year. So is it, um, if we get a swag bag for our employees, can we add, add, a hundred so we can send it to other yeah. people, that kind of thing. So the first piece is just keeping people connected to you, right? Um, and if you, you know, if you don't have one, it takes a while to organize, but think about 2019 as the year you're going to really kick it into gear. So you have four months now to get that into gear um, so that it's valuable and useful. And it doesn't take a lot of time to administer. What it does take time is to get people you know, fit, you know, you have to dedicate at least half a body to identifying people. And in general, I would take this out of usually it's better in the communications department um, because they're used to communicating with different audiences than it is in the HR department, unless it's, you know, really excellent communicator in the HR department. Lee, I have so enjoyed our discussion. Um, I can, honestly, I could talk to you for hours and hours <laughs> about this stuff. And I think like the, the boomerang principle and, and even your work before with millennials and management, I think this is so timely and needed right now. What do you want to say to, to listeners in closing and where can people find you as well? 
Um, the place to find me is um, on my website, leecaraher.com, L-E-E-C-A-R-A-H-E-R.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at leecaraher or on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. I blog on these topics all the time. I speak on these topics. You can find on the website, you can find my books, you can find my speaking, you can find my blog. I think for the, you know, the last thing I want to say is, you know, you know, work doesn't have to suck, number one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number two, and I've sort of dedicated this part of my brain to helping companies realize it doesn't have to suck. It it does require a lot. It does require change. It does require understanding that people have different needs today than maybe if I'm a boomer than we had when I, we started our careers. But that if if companies ha, ha, hold high expectations and people hold high accountability for themselves, we can find great employees and employers where we can make a big difference in the world. And if that's your point of view, um, you're going to have a strategic advantage over anybody else because that's what's going to motivate people more than anything else. Lee, you are a great friend of me and the podcast. You are welcome back anytime. And I know the listeners really appreciate this this topic. So I'll be back next on. week. Thank you. No, yeah. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> week, weekly series coming out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. People will get tired of that very quickly, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Really appreciate it, Lee. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www dot zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on facebook twitter and linkedin to hear about the latest in hr and leadership the information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization this podcast is hosted and fully produced by brandon laws that's me and created and owned by zenium resources inc For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.